good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. I'm Kathy Kayla. I'm standing in on Dischem Medical Monday. I hope that you're having... Well, a wonderful start to the week, and I hope that you had a wonderful weekend. You know, at this time of the year, everybody's feeling a bit tired. And, you know, there's opportunity for us to get revived and refreshed over the holidays, but not just uh, spiritually refreshed and, uh, you know, in terms of dealing with our own fatigue. But I think that, I don't know, maybe we're at a stage of life, well, for many of us, certainly, where we want to just get a few other things refreshed. So <laughs> he was so good last time that we've invited him back. I'm going to be speaking about aesthetic skin treatments. This is part two of uh, an interview that I'm doing with Dr. Irshad Mohammed Esak. He's a healthcare practitioner. He specializes as a dermatologist. We're going to be talking about all these new aesthetic skin treatments um, last time we spoke about microneedling, which still sounds fascinating and unbelievably painful, but you know what? It's right up there. <laughs> would you have microneedling? I want to know if you've had it, if you would have it after hearing the show, you let me know. And I'd love to have uh, any questions that you have for my esteemed guest. This is how you put them forward and I will ask him on your behalf or you can give us a call if you like but I'll give you all of those details 34519 that is the SMS line 34519 if you want to send a text you can also send a telegram a text on telegram that number is 061-895-1019 and uh, if you want to call us in studio the number you probably know it by now but it's 0101 40 30 20 that's the number. Easy, huh? 0101403020. It's almost a little jingle. Good morning, Dr. Isaac. How are you? I can't complain. Thank you very much for having me again, Kathy. You never do. You're just such an easygoing guy, which is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just wonderful. I really enjoy our interviews. Last time we spoke about micro needling. And yeah, I must say it has been on my mind. But there are a lot of other aesthetic skin treatments that I'm trying to understand because for example something like guasha I don't know if that's if that's how I pronounce it is it's pronounced guasha guasha it's apparently like this little stone that alleviates I don't know you use it on your arms it alleviates um, uh, sore muscles and then it also comes up as something that you can use on your face Rubbing your face with a stone doesn't sound sensible in any culture. I think that um, using a, a gua sha tool itself, uh, there may be some benefits to it. It all depends on what is the, the type of the tool being used. If the tool is far too much of an abrasive nature, you must remember that uh, one of the responses of the skin to repeated mechanical trauma is to thicken itself. And that thickening occurs predominantly from the outer layer of the skin. So imagine tribes in the Amazon that tend to walk around bare feet. They, uh, in order for them to resist the mechanical forces on the, on the soles of their feet, their feet will tend to thicken. But it's the type of thickening that you really don't want on your face. 
So if it is uh, a, another example of this would be a pumice stone or a, or a heel file um, where temporarily it will help to remove the, the, the outer layer of the skin. But in response to that mechanical trauma, the skin tends to thicken itself. The type of thickening or volumization that you want from your skin should actually be occurring mainly in the second layer of the skin which is what these tools tend not to do. So yes, the, from a from a relaxation point of view, um, you could use a washer tool, but I think that using one on a, on a regular basis certainly uh, may be detrimental uh, um, to the patient themselves. Okay. So it, it just it wasn't very specific to aesthetic beauty. I mean, it was listing all kinds of things that this tool supposedly does, and it's a little stone. And it just didn't make sense to me that something that's been around for so long it, it hasn't been discovered until recently. There's there's a whole variety of um, designs and implements that can be used on the on on the skin as a guasha tool. Uh, there are those that uh, people tend to use that are made of precious stones or semi-precious stones uh, in a in a roller type of a device. So similar to what a microneedling device would look like, except that you don't have the, the little needles in it. So imagine a rolling pin that's probably about four or five centimeters wide on a little handle. And that's what they end up using on their skin. But, but the surface of that particular um, item is fairly smooth. So yes, from a lymphatic drainage point of view, from a stimulation of collagen point of view, it certainly will have some sort of benefit. But if the item being used on the artery of the skin has got an abrasive uh, texture to it, it may not really be the, the right item to use on your skin. Right, right. How often should we be exfoliating? And does exfoliating assist in anti-aging? The frequency of exfoliating or your exfoliation will vary. And that, and why I'm saying that is, is that in pathological or diseased skin, excessive exfoliating can result in excessive dryness. So patients who are eczema prone may experience more dryness from exfoliating. Also, you may drive pigmentation in patients who are more prone to the development of marks and blemishes. So in that instance, if you're exfoliating once to twice a week should be adequate with a fairly gentle exfoliator. But generally on your face, if you have got fairly good skin, exfoliating on an alternate day basis or, an, or, an, or a daily basis should not be a problem. Uh, your question regarding does it help with the anti-aging, to a certain extent, yes. What it does is it actually removes the outer layer of the skin, which is initially we thought was dead and redundant tissue. But we have realized that the outer layer of the skin forms a very, very important um, layer or, or barrier when it comes to high, keeping the skin hydrated. So excessive exfoliation tends to improve or increase trans-epidermal water loss. So that is water loss across the epidermis or across the outer layer of the skin. So if you're going to exfoliate too frequently, you're going to dry the skin as well. And a dry skin, firstly, heals poorly. And a dry skin tends to respond poorly to allergens and overall, overall health of the skin. So removing the outer layer of the skin is not a bad thing, but if done very aggressively and if done too frequently, may be detrimental in the long run. 
All right, that question actually came from Terry. Sorry that I didn't give you any acknowledgement. All right, let's look at some of the other stories uh, or some of the other treatments. Retinol. We often hear this has got retinol and that's got retinol and you should be having retinol with your cereal in the morning. And what is retinol and how does it work on our skins? So retinol essentially is a vitamin D and a vitamin A analog. So these are compounds that are related to vitamin A. You may find them in different, uh, being described on packaging in different ways as a retinol or a retinyl or a retinaldehyde. What retinols or vitamin A's are responsible for in the skin is that when given in high enough concentrations, they are responsible for the correct maturation of the cells of the outer layer of the skin. So when these cells mature properly, they function properly. And if they function properly, you have better longevity out of each of those, of those particular cells. So people are very, very familiar with, with, with the use of retinol or vitamin A drugs that are used in the treatment of acne, oral treatments for acne. And they also work in a similar way, um, in, in the anti-aging, um, uh, uh, context. The important thing about retinols is that retinols or vitamin A's are usually a prescription item. So, when we prescribe certain types of retinols, uh, we prescribe them at concentrations that require a, uh, a prescription. However, there are many over-the-counter items as well that do contain retinols or vitamin A's, but the concentration at which they are in those particular items deem them to be more cosmeceutical rather than being pharmaceutical. So using a retinol as over-the-counter is not detrimental, but you're probably not in the right concentration uh, if you are getting it over-the-counter. You need higher concentrations that are usually uh, in, in the prescribed items. Uh, so we see patients who we prescribe retinols for them in either an anti-aging context. We prescribe it for them in a context where we want to treat acne or we want to maintain a patient who's previously been treated with an oral vitamin A so we're using that in that context as well. But the caution is that retinols are known to be teratogenic. So these have got the ability to produce birth defects. Is that, what, is retinol, that what teratogenic means? Means. Okay. So birth defects, uh, and, and the reason for this is because vitamin A's are also responsible for the the proper development of a fetal heart and also for the proper development of a fetal limb bud that's going to result in your upper limbs and lower limbs. Gosh. So having vitamin A's on board during pregnancy or in a sexually active female who's not using a contraceptive can be a problem even though the absorption through the skin can be regarded as relatively negligible you wouldn't want to have a female of childbearing age who is sexually active without a contraceptive on a retinol in their skincare regime in any way. And you'll also notice that most of pregnancy multivitamins that you would buy over the counter do not contain vitamin A's. They'll contain a whole host of other multivitamins, but not vitamin A's specifically for that particular reason. So cosmeceuticals you can pick up over the counter will have retinols, but not at the high enough concentrations. 
which then brings us to the prescription items that we will use. Uh, we, we, uh, we will use. But just and before we get on, sorry, I just had a question for you. Before we get on to the prescription items, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, no, that's fine. Dr. Isak, you, you're talking about how retinols can have a, an effect on development, right? That's that's the teratogenic. Teratogenicity, yeah. Right. So what happens, how safe is it then to use by teens where they are actually, their bodies are changing, they're developing during puberty? During puberty, it's not a problem uh, because you find that the retinols are being used to actually reduce the sebaceous glands which produce the excessive oil that results in the patient being prone to the development of acne. So using retinols topically for a patient or even orally for a patient in their teens or early 20s is not a problem, provided that there isn't an intercurrent pregnancy. That is the main problem. Okay. So retinols are also used in the anti-aging in the anti-aging uh, arena. It's also used um, in order to improve the overall health of the outer layer of the skin. And retinols are also used in the treatment of pigmentation. It, it can be used as a cornerstone in your in your um, treatment regime for pigmentation. Okay. Okay. Um, another question that I wanted to ask is that the skin is the is the largest organ of the body. We know that it, a lot of our absorption is through our skin, and we can absorb things through our skin. If you take a clove of garlic and rub it on your heel, within half an hour you will smell it on your breath, which is just proof of that very simple experiment if you are putting retinol on your face we know that vitamin a is also toxic in higher doses and it's one of the vitamins that you can actually overdose on so how safe is that i'm I'm just trying to get my head around how safe it is to use retinol so i think vitamin a is if they are if they are in concentrations that are being used in cosmeceuticals you should not have a problem Secondly, if you are using vitamin A's that are being prescribed for you, your doctor is probably prescribing a concentration for you that is relatively safe. The important thing is for you to stick with the, with the instructions that are being given to you by your prescribing doctor. Okay. Yes, vitamin A, if taken in excess, and usually this arises out of oral use of vitamin A, can result in night blindness. So vitamin A toxicity on the other end of the spectrum certainly can be a problem for patients. So, but I think if you're using it in a cosmeceutical context, which is, where it is being applied or, uh, topically, or if you're using it in a, in a, from a, a practitioner who is prescribing it for you to use it topically, I think if you're following instructions, you should be fine and safe. Okay. All right. So now let's go back to the prescriptions that you were talking about. So, so prescribed vitamin A's are used in dermatology apart, apart from just, uh, being used in the aesthetic arena. We use vitamin A's for a whole host of other disorders, uh, that we treat. I don't think that we should be delving into those disorders at this point in time. But yes, your, your, your dermatologist will prescribe for you retinols in patients or retinoids in patients when we are dealing with a patient who, who we want to treat from an anti-aging point of view. So we usually use that as one of the building blocks or cornerstones in your skin treatment regime for anti-aging. Okay. All right. Got it. Thank you very much. I feel like I'm an expert now. (laughs) Um, What are the other new 
I mean, I'm seeing things like ombre lips, but I'm assuming that that is not something that's permanent. Are people still tattooing makeup on permanently? Yes, they are. I think it depends predominantly upon the need of the of the of the individual. So permanent makeup is not a, uh, I won't say is uh, going out of fashion as such, and neither would I say is gaining popularity. But I think it's a very individualized type of a treatment, whereby busy individuals uh, who require to have makeup done on a daily basis because of the of the occupations or because of recreation, uh, they don't want to have the slip of going through the same makeup routine once or sometimes even twice a day, they would have permanent makeup done. Usually permanent makeup tends not to be done by dermatologists, but yes, there are uh, practitioners who do permanent makeup. Uh, permanent makeup can also be used from a treatment point of view or from, from a camouflage point of view. So certain patients, for example, who may have depigmentation or loss of pigment um, in the lips, for example, uh, which is a fairly difficult uh, area to treat from a derm point of view, uh, we would recommend the patient ends up having permanent make- makeup done more from a chemical to, to camouflage the area. So permanent makeup can be used more a- as a as a as a camouflage. Uh, and then you have, um, for example, performers uh, who need to have makeup done. They want to cut down the, their preparation time before a particular event. Uh, they would end up having permanent makeup done. But you could have lips done. You could have um, eyebrows done, eyelashes, um, li- uh, eyeliners, lip liners. All of that can be done with permanent with permanent makeup. Uh, one thing you must bear in mind that permanent makeup being what it is, is kind of a uh, of a tattoo as such. Uh, similar principles, although the technique is slightly different. So once you have it done, it's there and it's expected to stay for a fairly long time. So be very cognizant of the shades or colors or areas that you actually want to have done. But when you want to use it as a camouflage for certain difficult to treat dermatological conditions, works well because it's done and then lasts several months to years thereafter. Can you use that same technique to treat birthmarks? If somebody's got a very prominent birthmark, birthmarks, certainly birthmarks would be would be one uh, indication for the use of permanent makeup. Oh, that is fascinating. All right, a message from one of our listeners from Bob. Thanks, Bob. She says, "What can be done about fine smokers' lines around the mouth?" So, smokers' lines around the mouth is as a result of loss of volume. So, you have these vertical rhytids, R H Y T I D S. That occur mainly on the upper lip, lesser extent on the on the, on the low, lower lip as well. Uh, sometimes referred to as the barcode. Okay, <laughs> that's yeah. a very good description. Uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, there are things that can be done for the for the smokers lines. First of all, smokers lines are not exclusively as a result of you being a smoker. Yes, I'm sure it's from it's selfies where people do that thing where they pucker their mouth. As well, yes. forty times a day. So it is, it is as a result of loss of volume <laughs> okay. of the of the second layer of the skin uh, in that area. So, but being a smoker certainly contributes to the problem because you have got less oxygenation of the of the blood, and therefore you have a poorer healing and mending ability of the skin. So, yes, smoking contributes to things like fine lines and wrinkles and all your aesthetic problems. But it is not the sole problem here. To be able to treat writers, there's there's a whole host of things can, that can be done. Uh, you can use microneedling to treat, to volumize that area. Uh, you can use fillers to treat in that particular area. 
um, you can also use chemical peels to um, iron out the uh, very fine lines and wrinkles. Be very careful of using things like toxin treatments in that particular area. You may worsen the problem in some instances. Uh, so if you are having your lips done or your upper lips done, my my suggestion to you is to go to someone who is passionate about doing lips. Um, and the reason being is because people tend to believe if I've got these lines on my forehead where toxins work excellently well, if I've got lines on my upper lip, toxins are going to work equally well there too. But I think it is important that when you go to your, to your dermatologist to have your aesthetic treatments done, is to rather present your problem rather than walking in with a preconceived idea that I'm going to be having toxin done or this particular treatment done. Have them first to assess you, look at the contour of the lip, look at the, the, the contour and the shape of the lip itself, and then assess the upper lip volume, and you may be offered a one or a combination of treatments to be able to address that. So yes, there are treatments that can be done, but make sure it is done properly and from someone who can see the lip in the context of the entire face. Yeah, that balance. Nobody wants to be a goldfish unless you are a goldfish. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So uh, another message coming through from Jenny, which I'll get to in a minute, but you can be like Jenny and Bob and Terry and send through your messages for my very esteemed guest, Dr. Irshad Mohammed Esak. He's a healthcare practitioner. He specializes as a dermatologist. He is no stranger to HIFM and he's absolutely brilliant, as you can hear. So... um this is how you get in touch. This is how you send through your questions about, we're talking about aesthetic beauty treatments and, uh, you know, not over the counter stuff as much as what they are and just looking at the definitions, the ups and the downs of each different technique. 34519, that is the SMS line. Send me a text. 34519. You can alternatively, you can send a telegram on 061. 895-1019 or uh, yeah I think those are the two the two that you should that you should be using Jenny's got a question she says what can I do about my very thin eyebrows that's interesting I mean you could always be like those those bank tellers and those cashiers where they just plaster them on you know where they take like thick cokey and they color them in what do you think Dr. Isaac so eyebrow loss <laughs> eyebrow the first question is 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 whether this particular person has been removing the eyebrows or they've got loss of eyebrows. Loss of eyebrows can be as a result of some sort of underlying pathology. Ah. Um, it's commonly a, a disorder called uh, alopecia areata. Alopecia areata most commonly affects scalp, but in more widespread um, scenarios, you can get alopecia areata affecting the eyebrow area, eyelashes, uh, axillary or underarm hair, pubic hair, uh, hair on the legs can all be affected in a condition called alopecia universalis, where the entire body hair is affected. So you can get isolated eyebrow loss. Uh, isolated eyebrow loss can be associated, associated also with uh, hypothyroidism and underactive thyroid function. So it is important that you have this investigated properly. Things like iron deficiency may also present with eyebrow loss. Uh, vitamin D, B12... Uh, folate deficiencies may also uh, 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 present with loss of hair in certain areas. 
we look at various things. We look at which part of the eyebrow uh, has been lost. Has the eyebrow just thinned out? So is it a matter of poor growth? Um, we also look at is it unilateral? So on one side only or is it bilateral? Is it symmetrical? There's a whole host of things we do to actually assess the eyebrow area itself. So I would suggest that if she's got eyebrow loss, don't just assume it may be as a result of uh, the aging process itself, which in some cases it is. Uh, in terms of treatment, if there's an underlying medical problem, for example, hypothyroidism, we would probably um, bring on board thyroid supplements to sort that out. Uh, but if it turns out being something that is purely cosmetic, uh, there are people who do tend, tend to do uh, eyebrow transplants if the patient is a candidate for it. Uh, and then um, if the patient doesn't want to do anything invasive for that particular area, uh, there are a few creams that can be used to try to promote the, promote the growth. Um, and then um, if, as a last resort, uh, uh, permanent makeup is an, is an option for the patient. And then um, a, a good camouflage with a, with a uh, makeup artist can do an excellent job for you. So it all depends on what the underlying problem for those thin eyebrows actually is. I mean, who would have even thought that having thin eyebrows or thinning eyebrows could actually indicate a much bigger health issue? I mean, we don't, we don't even know. We always think, think that it's about the aesthetics, and actually it's not. So what does it, it mean if, if your eyebrows are not symmetrical? I mean, I've never seen anyone with not symmetrical eyebrows. But So something like alopecia areata may occur especially at the beginning, may occur asymmetrically. So a patient may, may think, oh, well, I've lost the lateral or the outside one-third or quarter of my eyebrow. I uh, don't think too much of it. Let's get an eyebrow pencil and color that back in, not realizing that there's an underlying issue. And then later on, a few months later, you may find that the opposite side begins to show a similar pattern of loss as well. That certainly should alert a patient to have that addressed because if there's an underlying general systemic problem that needs to be to be sorted out you can pick it up fairly early and you may not need to be as aggressive with those types of treatments okay we need to get to the message line because they are coming through thick and fast dr isaac i'm kathy kayla this is Discam medical monday we're talking about aesthetic beauty treatments my esteemed guest is dr irshad mohammed isaac he's a he specializes as a dermatologist so uh you want to send through a message, this is how you do it, 34519. That is the text line. You can also send a telegram on 061-895-1019. So, Carol, morning, Carol. She says, uh, Kathy, I have many fine lines on my chin. I hate them. What can be done about them? Please help from Carol. Fine lines on the chin. Okay, so going back to the to the to the upper lip story as well, you can have uh, fillers in, in introduced in that particular area. Uh, the thing that I actually didn't mention for the upper lip was you can also have a biostimulator inserted into that area. Now, a biostimulator is a a product or a a uh, a chemical that is usually injected, and there are different injecting techniques uh, into the skin. To stimulate the body's natural fibroblasts, which is the part of the skin that produces the hyaluronic acid and the and the, and the collagen, to stimulate to stimulate those cells to produce collagen and hyaluronic acid. So add add volume by doing that. So unlike, for example, a filler where you are introducing the product from the outside and injecting it and placing it, 
here what you are doing is you are getting the you are stimulating or waking up the body to produce its own collagen and hyaluronic acid advantages you you apart from the aesthetic advantages of having a better draped skin over a volumized uh, lower dermis you also have less chances of allergic reactions like you would get for example with filler and by the way filler products are getting better as time goes by too um but you have less allergic reactions you have less placement issues so that you don't have issues of asymmetry because your body is doing all of the work and biostimulators is the next thing uh in uh, in aesthetics that's come along and uh, it's minimally invasive it's an office procedure uh usually done under local anesthetic in some instances in some instances practitioners don't even use local anesthetic it takes a few injections you can inject it into the area and you can stimulate the body over a period of months some of them do require repeat or top up treatments after a few weeks so for example there are some biostimulators where you will inject on week 0 week 6 and then week 12 uh and then maybe a top up here and there depending on how much you require so yes you can you can improve those fine lines and wrinkles by doing it that way the other way to go about doing it is you can use microneedling so instead of getting the body to stimulate it using a chemical you now are needling the area to stimulate collagen production if you've got those deep bulldog lines between the corner of your mouth to the to the angle of the jaw or otherwise known as the marionette puppet lines uh they can become quite deep in that instance you can insert threads so you suspend the lateral or the outer part of the skin and allow that to drape a lot better so if a patient has got good volume you can take that volume and you can reposition it so those are all the advantages or 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 mechanism we can actually use uh, to treat in that in that particular area so there are lots of things that can be done i think if a patient has themselves properly assessed and the important thing is to look at what is the underlying bone structure because i like to see the skin like linen on a bed or a tablecloth on a table where the bone structure is the underlying furniture and the the bed sheet or the duvet is the overlying skin so you could interfere with the underlying bony structure and thereby drape the overlying skin better you must remember as we get older it's not only a matter of the epidermis the outer layer of the skin becoming becoming thinner and the dermis losing volume and the fat layer becoming misplaced and becoming less in volume it's also the underlying bone structure of the of the cheeks of the chin of the orbital area around the eye that also begins to become resolved that's what also results in the eye becoming sunken so sometimes you need to use items that can reshape the underlying furniture and then you can also deal with the overlying bed sheet or or tablecloth and drape that better if you can turn that bed sheet into a duvet which is a lot thicker it drapes a lot better and the wrinkles tend to get better so it can be a multi-layered approach to dealing with 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 the, with, with wrinkling whether they are deep lines or fine lines you want to you want to um you can use multiple uh, modalities or multiple treatment methods to deal with those things
Okay. Um, some of the other messages that are coming through, and if you want to send a message, you can on 34519 on SMS. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50 or VAS rates. You can alternatively send me a message on Telegram, and that number is 061-895-1019. Uh, Zed weighing in. Nice to hear from you, Zed. says, are massager pens safe to use on the face? I don't think I've ever seen a massager pen. What is a massager pen? I would like to believe that what your uh, caller is referring to is a type of um, device that has kind of a jackhammer motion to it. And at the bottom of the of the of the device, uh, there is sometimes a round, firm ball. It could either be a, a, a rubberized ball or it's a little small ball like a like a marble. Which they tend to use uh, on, on on the skin. It, it's it allegedly purported to improve uh, blood flow to the area, thereby improving the overall um, quality of the skin. Uh, and it also is purported to improve uh, collagen stimulation. However, in the dermatological arena, not many of dermatologists are actually using those type of devices. Okay. So maybe you use it as a lymphatic drainage type of thing to massage the skin. Yes, you could. Uh, with regard to damaging the skin, I think certainly with any device, overuse, rapid speeds of use. So in other words, if you've got your machine set too fast and um, too much of pressure with those type of devices could certainly injure the skin and even cause bruising in some instances. Yeah, because we live in an instant society. We all want results now, 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 now. So let's just crank it up to number 10 and let's go for it. <laughs> exactly. Jenna Wang, and she also says, what can be done for droopy top eyelids? Mine are starting to be a problem. Thanks, Jen. Okay, so uh, droopy eyelids. So I think that that's like think- hooded, no? Isn't it hooded, hooded, like, like hooded eyelids? One example would be would be a, a hooded uh, eyelid. A lot of I've had a lot of patients actually walk into my practice and tell me um, my eyelids are droopy and they're beginning to to fold upon themselves and cause wrinkling and creasing. Uh, I want a toxin treatment. That's probably one of the worst things to actually do, which is which is uh, a toxin treatment because it may exacerbate that particular problem hmm. uh, and allow the the eyelids to fall down even further. So you've got this even more tired look or a Chinese Shaipei dog type of a look. Um, in that particular instance, one of your your um, options are is probably to see a plastic surgeon, and a blepharoplasty will probably be one of the one of your options for you. Uh, it's is a surgical treatment, relatively not that invasive, uh, but what we tend to do is we can tend to reshape the the upper lid in order for the lid to provide you with a more of an open, wide-eyed type of an appearance. Okay. All right. Um, Bernard's got a question. He wants to know what goes into lip fillers. He's obviously asking on behalf of his wife. It might be a discussion I'm thinking. If I could refine the question, yes. uh, what, are, what are lip fillers? There are many different ways you can fill a lip. And again, like I said, it's important that if you're going to be going to a practitioner, a practitioner who's got a passion for doing good lips, right? Uh, you don't want to walk out with a dugbill type of an appearance, and you don't want to walk out with an exploded lip, so a, 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 a lip that looks like a flat truck tire. However, 
the trends overseas is whereby patients come into dermatologists and, and, and practitioners showing them that particular appearance and says, do this. From a beauty point of view, it is debatable about whether that embodies uh, a beautiful look. But then again, uh, in some instances, there are clients who want it and they can have it done. With regards to what's inserted into the lip, there are generally hyaluronic acid fillers that are predominantly used. Um, and your lip filler generally is of a filler that has got a, a relatively low, what we call G prime. It's a more of a softer filler so that it enables you to, to articulate and to eat properly. You don't want to insert a filler that you would use, for example, that you would use on the bone. And the reason being is because it's going to give your, your lip a very firm and a hard, beady appearance uh, and a feel to it. So speaking, kissing, um, talking then tends to be a bit of a problem. Uh, you don't want to have fantastic looking lips and go off to the next social event and find that your food's kind of falling out of your mouth at, at dinner. Uh, <laughs> that's not looking pretty at all. So you want something that is that is softish, that can uh, integrate well with the lip tissue itself. Okay, so hyaluronic acid generally is is the the material that is th that most fillers are actually made of. However, there are other techniques that are used whereby uh, you can. Uh, there are mainly plastic surgeons do this, where they use autologous fat transplants. So taking fat from another area, useful, I imagine, area. very useful Sorry? to remove fat from another area. Does have its advantages is that it's 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 more natural looking and more natural feeling. Uh, the contouring uh, is probably just as easy or difficult as if you were use a hyaluronic acid filler. But again, being a surgical technique, you've got to harvest the, the fat from another site. So now you've got yourself a second donor site, and uh, you inject them into the lips as you would do with a with a with a filler. Uh, can run into problems with fat necrosis, so death of the fat cells. If they've been injured or bruised, they don't survive last, so you uh, survive long thereafter. So that uh, in some instances you can get uh, later on dimpling or, or cobblestoning of that particular area. Um, so you can get synthetic fillers to put into your lips or you can get autologous, in other words, taken from your own body to insert into your lips. Yeah, look, I mean, some people take uh, plastic surgery and aesthetic treatments to the extreme. I was watching a program in, in preparation for what we're talking about, and there's a woman, I think she was in Brazil or in China, I can't remember, but she took industrial strength silicone and she started injecting it into her face in order to build the silicone because in the mind of the layman, silicone is silicone. And she has completely deformed her face for the rest of her life. And because it's, um, because it's intramuscle or intramuscular, you can't remove that silicone and it's, it's, it's toxic. It's, it's absolutely shocking. The, the underground aesthetic scene in the, Americas, North and South America. And Mexico. It, Mexico is a big one. It's extremely vibrant. Yeah. Um, so much so that you are absolutely correct. Things like industrial silicone is easily available. And there are unauthorized practitioners who practice these in hotel rooms. And they do anywhere between about 5 to about 40 patients a night. 
obviously these type of items should not they are not medical grade they should not be in, in injected uh, and somewhere along the line some of these practitioners are either self taught so when they end up going to a to a, a registered practitioner or plastic surgeon and they are told well look um you should not be having this treatment done because you had enough done um they tend to want to feed something called body dysmorphic disorder and they would then get access to the drug or to the filler um and then DIY at home in 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 the bathroom once they get comfortable with doing their lips and they would do their cheekbones and then do a little bit more into the breast area and maybe i want to now widen my my buttocks and thighs and my calves when they get comfortable doing this over a period of 2 or 3 years then they'd offer a friend uh because it's far 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 cheaper to do these in the underground or black market if i could put it to you that way than to go to a registered practitioner um uh, there were there were there was a very well done um investigative j- journalist um program on um, one of the uh, the, the pay channels which explored this in an entire hour and uh, it was frightening to see one how easy it is to access product whether product intended for, for for use on the body or not and secondly it is it is frighteningly um um how easy it is for them to get access to to places for them to do these treatments in fact so much so there are in in places like the us in miami um and in the latin american countries as well these underground practitioners are so well sought after that it is more difficult to get their telephone number than your local drug dealer gosh um it, it it is insanely crazy about how much is done and how it's done uh the volumes that are used um and there's absolutely no regulation there's absolutely uh, no safety standards uh and and this particular uh, injector probably charges anywhere between about 5 and about 7 to 8 sometimes even up to 10 or 12000 US dollars per treatment mm. and the journalist asked well how many do you do in a night and the response was on a good night about 40 wow so you do the maths how do these doctors a, still have their licenses though i mean he's not he's not a doctor oh, he's not it a doctor not even, not even a doctor not even a pharmacist not even a paramedic this is a self-taught individual who was turned away in this particular episode of this program yeah. this person was actually turned away from a plastic surgeon a plastic surgeon refused to do any further work and this person decided to take it among um, uh, on themselves to then inject themselves and that turned into injecting friends injecting friends of friends injecting people they saw at a nightclub and uh the uh the music video scene uh in in the latin americas basically is also is what's uh, in a way driving this because um should you be seen with a a very um attractive body parts you then recruited into uh, by producers into the into the um, the music video scene and uh for someone to want to spend for example 10000 US dollars in order to reshape the body for them to get themselves the next gig is not an uncommon uh, uncommon common problem and mainly driven by poverty. Hmm. Yeah, I I suppose it also dra- raises the question of what is driving the conversation and what is driving our own sense of self. 
you know, is it all about the externals? I mean, life has taught me at the age of 53, life has taught me that you cannot judge people by what you see. You cannot. Everyone has got different needs. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was doing an interview the other day uh, on another radio station, and um, the question was, what sort of age profile of patients are you seeing for aesthetic procedures? And there, there is a different need for the different age groups. Now, the younger patients are essentially coming, o- coming over more from a maintenance point of view. Look, I don't want to look like my mother when she was 60 and I'm now 24. So I want to start and get ahead of the game. So I want to start my retinols now. I want to get a good moisturizer. I want to get a good sunscreen. I'll do a chemical peel here. I'll do a bit of microneedling, more from a preventative point of view. So in the aesthetics market, it's not only your 45-plus year age group. It's the younger patients who are also coming to have certain types of procedures done. That phenomenon is also being fueled by social media and Instagram. It's Instagram, TikTok, where patients no longer want to use a filter to take a selfie. So, um, yeah, because we know that they're filters. So the younger patients want to be out there and put their best face forward from the start. The older, more mature patient essentially wants to resist or delay or decelerate the aging process. And they've got a different need. Because they've already got problems that require require addressing, and 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 when you interview or when you consult with these patients, will realize that their needs are completely different. So, I would say there are teens that are starting aesthetic treatments, and you still have got your older generation who are coming over, and it's like it's also a matter of the next generation of aesthetic patient who's now also wanting aesthetic treatments. And the reason being is, well, mommy just picked me up from school. We are on our way to to netball practice. Okay, lovey, uh, just uh, hang on a few minutes in the car while I just going to get my toxin done quickly and mm. off we go. So it becomes a way of life. Well, mommy's doing it. Mommy's friends are doing it. So three or four years later, why not? Mommy's doing it because she doesn't want to have her wrinkles. I don't want to have any wrinkles to start with. So God. let me start at the age of 21. But that's the, that's the, that's the need for a different uh, patient. And, and your approach, your assessment is completely different. I mean, a, a lot of uh, younger patients are walking in wanting um, a runway or a supermodel look. And they would go for recontouring. No fine lines and wrinkles to worry about yet. But they want a, a different contour. Of the of the cheekbones, something that they've um, seen on TikTok on somebody else. Something they've seen on TikTok, and usually you get the, the the consultation begins with a photograph that's shown to you. I want to look like this. Yeah. Um, it's an Angelina Jolie. It's a it's some celebrity along the way. And mind you, the male patients are not too far behind in making these requests as well. Yeah. Listen, social so, media is certainly feeding it. No question absolutely. in my mind. Uh, Dr. Ishad Mohammed Essak, thank you very, very much for your time always. It is a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for answering so many of our listener questions this morning. And I wish you well. I wish you all the best for 2023. And I'm sure that we will thank catch up then. Much. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you.
That right. is uh, Dr. Ishad Muhammad Esak. This is going to this Diskem Medical Monday is going to be available as a podcast on highfm.com. And uh, Dr. Esak is a dermatologist, as I mentioned before. This is Kathy Kayla signing off. I wish you a wonderful week. I wish you a blessed week. And you know what? It doesn't matter if nobody else loves you. Love yourself. <laughs> You're beautiful. God thought that the world needed one of you. <laughs> so uh, have a fantastic week. And uh, God bless. Bye-bye.